You're listening to End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. Since May of 2017, End of the Line has brought you stories from frontline communities along the proposed routes of the Mountain Valley and Atlantic Coast pipelines. Much has happened since the two pipelines were proposed over three years ago, And now it seems the pipeline saga is fast approaching real time. According to Atlantic Coast Pipeline, or ACP, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission could grant a final permit for the project before the end of the month and is pressing FERC to do so. On September 7, 2017, the company submitted a letter asking FERC to hasten its delivery of the final permit which would allow ACP to use eminent domain in order to build the pipeline. Just the day before, over 50 landowners along both the ACP and MVP announced that they were suing FERC for what they call eminent domain abuse. And so we stand here today with a lawsuit against FERC, specifically on the constitutional issues and the negligence that that they have demonstrated. And on September 13th and 14th, Protesters showed up at DEQ headquarters around the state, including here in Richmond, to pressure the governor, the DEQ, and the State Water Control Board to deny the water permits needed to construct their pipelines. As protector of Virginia water, The DEQ can deny the pipeline companies a permit to cross these water bodies if the threat is deemed significant. In episode four, we talked with a former employee of the agency, David Sly, who is now putting all of his energy into fighting the agency he once worked for. Every time I've heard the governor or the DEQ or anyone else say, oh, that's really up to FERC. Um, I've been incensed by that because it's just not true. We're going to be hearing a lot more about this topic of the DEQ and water quality in the coming months. Because for many residents affected by the proposed Atlantic Coast and Mountain Valley pipelines, water is everything. Our water is your water. That was our primary concern. What is this going to do to our water? Here in Montgomery, we're in a well here. I mean, and we don't have, there is no access to public water. It's a, it's a water disaster for our county. Franklin County's motto is the land between the lakes. Our county is totally based on these watersheds. And it can affect it uh, from the blasting Um, from the sedimentation that is bound to happen. But it's going to affect everybody from here all the way to to the Chesapeake Bay. Landowners have seen massive rain events cause flooding, landslides, and erosion in the paths of both pipelines, areas that are home to some of the largest biodiversity in the country and the steepest slopes in the Appalachian Mountains. And see that bank over there? There's already some erosion issues with this creek which need to be addressed and this pipeline's only gonna exacerbate that problem for landowners. These are the things that you can see above the ground, but we haven't had a chance to talk about what exists below the surface of much of this terrain, a little thing called karst. 
Uh, karst geology is basically limestone soils, and limestone dissolves over time as water flows through it. Listeners may recall Bill Limpert from episode four. He and his wife own property in Bath County, right along the edge of some very steep mountains that ACP would cross. Much like David Sly, Bill's background as an environmental engineer has come in handy when addressing issues of scientific integrity and water quality. So what you have is a lot of limestone channels, fragile limestone channels. Think of the interior of Luray Caverns that, uh, that carry water to our wells and springs. None of us are on public water. Um, as a matter of fact, none of Bath County where the pipeline would go through is on public water either. Um, and sediment generated from the construction of the pipeline could fill those underground channels, cutting water off completely to our wells and springs. Additionally, the extensive blasting to go through 20 to 25 foot deep of bedrock could, could easily collapse those channels. But within this, it creates uh, really an unknown network of, of water, of you know, where uh, surface water is going, where groundwater is going, and where it ends up. Tom Burkett is a professor, artist, and activist who has traveled across the country to document water impacts for communities facing everything from fracking to coal ash to pipelines. Here, he talks about the mysterious nature of underground streams due to karst topography. One stream might kind of uh, horizontally jump into another stream by using karst topography. So you know, when we're talking about permitting for stream crossings, we don't really know where that stream is going in these areas. The second kind of major issue in that is, you know, when you're then uh, trenching the streams and kind of rivers and karst topography of, you know, kind of violently disrupting the karst. Um, and in that, you know, can completely disrupt water patterns that have been there for years. This is essentially what residents along both pipelines have been telling anyone who will listen that underground water in these areas is fragile, mysterious, and unpredictable. Mike Carter explained just what this means for people who depend on well water. The lady right down the street uh, unfortunately sold an easement to Mountain Valley Pipeline. They gave her $27,000 because they're going to destroy the spring she gets her water from. They gave her extra money to dig a new well. She's dug two wells, both of which are dry, so she spent whatever amount of money trying to produce a new water source and still has nothing. Most of these property owners, are, if they build it, they're going to get no compensation. They're going to be in the death zone, but their property line is not on Mountain Valley's right-of-way, so they're going to get nothing. but possible damage to their wells. This ridge has a lot of rock, so I'm sure there's going to be blasting if they build the pipeline. That can collapse wells, it can collapse uh, drain fills for septic systems, it can change how water forms in aquifers underground for these people that use wells. One of our closest neighbors uh, has a, and he's close to the pipeline as well, he, the proposed pipeline I should say, um, <laughs> His well is over a thousand feet deep. It cost him twenty-nine thousand dollars to build it to get water, 
And even so, he's only getting 1.5 gallons per minute. Now, he tells us, and I believe him, the first blast that they put off may cut his water off completely. Citizens in Augusta County did dye tracing to show where the water flows through the underground areas, the karst limestone geology, and showed that in some places it flows for many miles from the place where you would do the digging to the place where it comes out into your well or your spring. In other words, what these dye tests reveal is that impacts from construction could very likely affect wells and groundwater for residents who are nowhere near the pipeline path. ACP didn't identify that. FERC didn't identify that. It's been left up to people out there on the land to figure it out. And that's not the way it's supposed to work. They're supposed to protect us. Despite their hundreds of pages of reports, there are lots of things they still don't know. We know that both ACP and MVP have failed to identify lots of people's springs and wells out there on the land. Uh, I talked to one gentleman down in, I believe, Giles County, who said their surveyors have been out here four times and I've been with them every single time, and they haven't found my spring yet. That just shows the, the level of detail and knowledge that they're bringing to this process. If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic, on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. I'm Whitney Whiting, and today we're talking about the fragile and mysterious nature of water in the Appalachian region, where not one, but two 42-inch high-pressure fracked gas pipelines could potentially threaten Virginia waters. But what about the agency that is tasked with regulating those water impacts? As we mentioned in the beginning of this episode, Pipeline opposition has now turned its eyes to the Virginia Department of Environmental Quality in the hopes of impressing upon the governor and his state agency how dangerous these proposed pipelines could be for Virginia water. And that's one of our big complaints about what the Virginia DEQ is refusing to do, and that's look at the compilation or the combination of all those possible impacts in one review. David Sly is a former employee of the Virginia DEQ who is taking the agency to task over the scientific integrity of its review process. They have segregated these different reviews. They want to look at the stream crossings themselves in a separate review. They want to look at certain what they call upland activities like um, the erosion and the stormwater hydrologic changes in all these different packages and you just can't make a valid conclusion about will our stream be protected when you look at these things in, in their own little boxes. In August of 2017, DEQ held hearings around the state in order to receive input on the draft water permits for both pipelines. They scheduled three hearings for the ACP and two for the MVP. A member of the State Water Control Board, the citizen body tasked with voting on the actual permits, 
was in attendance at each location. Tom Burkett, a professor and member of Virginia River Healers, recalls what impressed him most at the first hearing in Harrisonburg. You know, going through these hearings, they're always very emotional. You know, people have so much at stake, but what I found to be even kind of more revealing about these hearings is the amount of citizen science that's being conducted around the state. You know, a lot of these communities and individuals have been, you know, up against these pipelines for, you know, two, three years, you know, and doing research and paying for research out of their own pockets, um, getting people onto their property to conduct mm -hmm. tests and soil tests. And what that's created is just a kind of amazing resource that's all been citizen-driven in the state, you know, people spending hours of their time developing research, making it public, exchanging it within communities and other organizations. The turnout at the first public hearing set the tone, with nearly 400 people packing the James Madison University Auditorium and comments lasting well into the night. I implore both the DEQ and the State Water Control Board to really listen to what the people have to say. We are here to talk to you about our water and to ask you to fulfill your constitutional mandate under Section 401 of the Clean Water Act. I'm concerned that the contractor hired by the DEQ to review Dominion's stormwater erosion and sediment control plans is currently working for Dominion. We deceive ourselves when we pretend that sensitive water sources won't be harmed by a 600-mile, 42-inch pipeline and over 200 miles of access roads. As a kid, I held the DEQ and the EPA as the protectors of the earth. And I always thought I'd actually end up working for you guys. I ended up becoming a social worker instead. Um, please don't let me down. Please don't let the seven-year-old me down. Please don't let the people down in Augusta County. You must have gotten into this work because you care about water and water quality. This unnecessary pipeline project will wreak havoc on our waterways. Our agriculture, tourism, and recreation are the main economic drives, all relying on safe, clean water. We have too much on the line to risk it all for a gas pipeline project. Please stand up for water and our access to safe, clean water. Thank you. Unfortunately, there were too many people and not enough time. You know, it's, it's understandable that you can't have a hearing go on for four or five or six hours. But the big problem was that DEQ, as with this whole process, designed the process that wasn't meant for the people. They, first of all, they scheduled a hearing in Harrisonburg, which is many, many miles from where the pipeline would cross and where the people who would be effective live. Uh, many people said, well, you should have one in every county. And that would not be an unreasonable thing. The fact that people got shut out, and that didn't just happen in Harrisonburg, it happened in, in almost all of the, the other hearings as far as I'm aware. That's just wrong, that's not the way it's supposed to work. Another point of contention amongst pipeline opponents is the lack of transparency and information, especially around the sedimentation and erosion control plans. After setting a start date of July 3rd for the formal public comment period, 
It took the DEQ over two weeks to release ACP's sediment and erosion control plans to the public. Plans that many people have pointed out are the most crucial aspect for evaluating water impacts. That was addressed multiple times in the hearings by you know, people in the public, myself as well. Um, you know, how can an individual make a statement about the concerns of their water if they don't actually even know the intentions of Dominion's pipeline coming through their property yet? Um, you know, if Dominion hasn't provided those surveys and the state hasn't provided those surveys to a property owner or to the public, how are we supposed to get up and speak about it? I can talk about all kinds of stuff that goes in this pipeline. I'd love to come and talk about technical information, uh, which is, I know is what you want to hear about. But that information is available. We don't know what they plan to do to the rivers, to the streams, to, to the waterway, every single waterway in the state. We have no idea because our friends at Dominion, Atlantic Coast Pipeline LLC, they haven't released that information. It doesn't exist. We can't see it. I, I, I mean, I'm kind of confused because I don't really know why we're here. Because as far as I'm aware, the DEQ has already said that they're going to defer this to the Army Corps of Engineers for their statewide permit 12, which means a blanket permit. So every single waterway, whether it be a stream, aquifer, um, river, whatever, is going to be a blanket permit. So we're saying we don't care. Like, I'm wearing a shirt that says water protector on it because I feel like I need to. Because someone's got to protect the water. Because who is? Is the DEQ going, DEQ going to protect the water? That's what I want to know because I really don't see how that's possible. I re and I know this because I recently walked with a group of other people 150 miles along the proposed path of the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. From Highland County through Bath County, Augusta County, Nelson County, to Buckingham County where we're looking to build this compressor station. So I have first-hand experience of every single waterway. I've swam in my walk through them. And I can't for the life of me comprehend how we can issue a blanket permit, which is what we're looking to do. We're gonna let the Army Corps of Engineers issue a blanket permit to say that the, that the, the Cowpasture River is the same as the James River. Is the same as Mike's Creek. He's standing in the back there. He lives in Nelson County in Wheeler's Cove. Some of the places that would be affected directly, uh, Craig's Creek, which is one of my favorite places in the whole wide world from the time I was 11 years old and went uh, with my grandfather fishing for the first time. Uh, the Jackson River, where I've paddled uh, I don't know how many times is going to be damaged in ways that you cannot repair um, if this happens. And so it's very personal to me. I mean, I, I have kind of a broader technical view and a legal view. And sometimes I forget about my specific stories, but, but those places are really, really important to me. And, um, you know, my whole life they have been important to me. We submitted to DEQ a report that was signed by 13 uh, experts, all aspects of the technical and scientific issues that are involved here. Professors from Virginia Tech, uh, Washington Lee, they included a member of the Virginia Cave Board, professional engineers, professional geologists, a number of us who had long experience in regulatory agencies, not just DEQ, but other places. And we came up with our conclusion about the scientific basis for these proposed certifications. We said very strongly and clearly that they are not supported by the science, 
that if DEQ goes forward with their recommendations they have right now, it will be professionally incompetent and it will not meet minimum standards of scientific proof. That's as clear as we can be. And that's the kind of standard they have to meet to be able to do this legally. I want the DQ to be the water protectors. I don't even want to wear this shirt. Why do I need to wear this shirt? The DQ needs to do its job. That's why I'm here, to ask you to do that. Because I know that your boss, David Paler, is in the, in the, in the minion's pocket because he goes on golf trips, paid for by, like, by Dominion. And I know that, I know that his boss, Terry McCauliffe, it, it sees this as his pipeline. So I want to ask you, as, as human beings that live in this state, as fellow residents of Virginia, to please, DQ, just do the job that you're paid to do. And assess every single individual waterway. Otherwise, it's a sham. It's a complete sham. This whole process is a sham if you don't. The time has come for us to celebrate with all we are we cannot hesitate to raise the ruined earth through the air up to the sky lay down your swords and wait for rain On September 11th, 2017, the Monday before the airing of this episode, a representative of EQT, one of the companies behind the Mountain Valley Pipeline, was quoted in the Roanoke Times saying that they believe FERC could grant them a final certificate for MVP by the end of next week. Just like ACP, it's betting that FERC will speed the process of certification to their favor. Likewise, many pipeline opponents have long since abandoned hope of appealing to FERC. I've personally kind of given up on trying to work with the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. They've turned their back on us. Uh, they're captive. They've been captive, uh, captured by the energy industry. You know, the state of Virginia has essentially tried to hide behind FERC. They tried to hide behind the Corps of Engineers and they cannot do it. And every time I've heard the governor or the DQ or anyone else say, oh, well, that's really up to FERC. Um, I've been incensed by that because it's just not true. And by now, they must know it's not true. I think the statement is FERC doesn't work. Up until these projects, I really don't think they've paid much attention to what people have had to say, but the pressure's on. Recent news would suggest that pipeline opponents are indeed seeing evidence of that pressure. On September 7, 2017, West Virginia regulators, who had already granted permits for water certification of the Mountain Valley Pipeline in their state, announced that they were backing off of those permits in order to reevaluate whether the state certification complied with the Clean Water Act. This action was in response to a petition that was due before federal appeals court to overturn those very same permits.
The case that was just decided in federal uh, court of appeals two days ago, I guess, uh, said the state of New York, when they denied a water quality certification for the Constitution pipeline, were absolutely within their power and their authority to do so. And if anything was needed to bolster our, our contention that Virginia has that power, that's it. So after draft permits, public hearings, protests, and appeals to both courts and conscience, what next? Sometime this fall, the State Water Control Board is expected to vote on Virginia's draft water certifications, which could literally make or break the pipelines. At the time of this recording, it's still unknown when that vote by the State Water Control Board will take place, but one thing can be certain. Pipeline opponents will be there to look their state regulators in the eye. Your authority as the Department of Environmental Quality lies in your mandate to protect our water, to keep it clean and free flowing. You must assure the citizens of the Commonwealth of Virginia that you will study steep slope and slide prone areas, environmental monitoring and inspection, karst mitigation, spill prevention, riparian buffer protection, water quality monitoring, and the protection of public water supplies. Please have the courage to look to the future of Earth, Virginia, and our children and stop these pipelines. Thank you. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. This episode produced by Katie Wood and Whitney Whiting with support from Aaron Bish. Special thanks to David Sly, Mike Carter, Bill and Lynn Limpert, Tom Burkett, and all of our frontline community members whose voices were featured here. Music by Restroy. Find the full EP at milkfactoryproductions.bandcamp.com. Additional music by Lobo Marino. Find them on lobomarinomusic.com. <laughs>